to the Patient Matters Podcast, a podcast aimed at explaining common and sometimes complex medical issues in a way that can't always be done in a standard GP appointment. Welcome to the Patient Matters Podcast. My name is Dr Mitch Burden and I'm a GP working in the NHS. As most listeners will be aware, the time us GPs are able to spend with our patients is under increasing pressure. And so being able to speak to your doctor pre-prepared and armed with the questions that matter to you, we can have more productive consultations, which lead to better outcomes for patients like you. In this episode, I'll be talking about one of the most common problems GPs are asked to talk about, and that's back pain, or more specifically, lower back pain. Lower back pain can affect patients of all ages, and for those lucky enough to have never had a bad back, the first time it happens can be overwhelming and frightening. Over the next 10 minutes or so, I'm going to cover some of the more common causes of back pain, things us doctors are particularly worried about, so-called red flag symptoms, and ways you can help yourself before needing to come and speak to us. As with all episodes in this series, content is for informational purposes only and should not serve as a substitute for medical treatment for yourself or others. For personalised medical advice, please speak to your doctor or other appropriate healthcare professional. Now, I'm not going to explain what back pain is, as that should be quite self-explanatory. And if it's not something you've ever had to deal with, maybe save listening to this episode for another time. The vast majority of back pain we see is lower back pain and is the single biggest cause of lost working hours in the UK. It doesn't discriminate based on what you do, as it can affect those who work manual jobs, as well as those who are generally sat down all day. One stat I want to share right at the beginning, particularly if you're listening to this with back pain at the moment, is that over 90% of patients presenting with new back pain will find all of their pain has gone within six weeks. This is important to remember because when the pain first comes on, it's difficult to focus on anything else and it's easy to feel very negatively about the situation. When thinking about potential causes, as with any medical problem, we could spend hours going through a hundred different causes. But here I'll cover the most common ones and I'll later go through some warning signs that could point towards it being something less common. So with causes, I think the first thing to say is that unlike with other conditions, we rarely get to a specific diagnosis with back pain due to how varied it can be. Instead, our job as GPs is to try and work out who could have something more serious going on that needs our support. Most back pain we see, close to 98%, we'd call mechanical back pain. This can come from muscle strains, problem with the discs, or problems with the bones themselves. This pain is made worse when you move, stand, or sit for too long. It's often not overwhelmingly painful, but enough that it plays on your mind or stops you from doing things you'd usually be doing. This type of back pain is equally common if you're 18 or if you're retired. It doesn't discriminate. This type of back pain does not usually require you to have a scan. This is because we know that what we may see on a scan or x-ray does not fit very well with the pain people feel. Scans are usually reserved for more serious cases, which I'll speak more about later. Patients will often expect to be sent for some kind of scan, but if your doctor doesn't suggest this, you should take this as a reassuring sign. One common type of mechanical lower back pain worth mentioning in particular is sciatica. There are two thick sciatic nerves that come out of your lower back travel down your legs to allow you to feel and move them. If one of these nerves gets irritated, it can cause pain and altered sensation in your back, 
down through your buttock and right down to the bottom of your leg, as far down as your foot. This can be very disabling, especially early on, but is largely managed in exactly the same way as any other type of lower back pain, and I'll go through some management advice later on. So let's discuss some red flags. Now you may recall a time where you went to see your GP about a problem and found at the end of that chat, they asked you a few specific questions, which may have seemed odd or unrelated to the problem you came in with. That's because for many things, we need to make sure there are no red flag symptoms. These are symptoms that make us worry about something more serious going on. For back pain, there are several red flags, which I'll go through now. For example, if you have any difficulty passing urine or loss of bladder control, incontinent of your bowels, pain or weakness going down both of your legs at the same time, new erectile dysfunction or a lack of sensation, or a numbness and tingling around your genitals or backside. These could all suggest a rare but serious condition where the spinal cord is compressed and will usually require you to be seen in hospital. Now it's worth pointing out this accounts for around one in 100,000 cases of lower back pain. So not very common, but not one we want to miss. Other red flags include severe pain right in the middle of your back that gets better when you lie down, or pain that's come on after major trauma, such as a fall from a height or possibly a car accident. These will make us worry about a fracture in one of your spinal bones. Another red flag is if you're generally feeling unwell or have had a temperature. This could make us worry about an infection in your back. And again, for both of these issues, would probably require you to be seen and managed in hospital. So assuming you don't have any of those, let's talk about some simple management advice. The single most important advice in managing back pain is to try and stay as active as possible. Lying in bed is the worst thing you can do, with research showing that inactivity and avoiding usual activities or work are likely to prolong your recovery time. This doesn't mean you have to go to your boxercise class the day the pain comes on, but normal things around the house and going into work have all been shown to be beneficial, before gradually increasing what you're able to do. Within a few days, gentle running, cycling or strength work can all be helpful. These movements may produce some pain, but this is not harmful. There is no evidence that painkillers will speed up your recovery, but used in moderation at the beginning, they can allow you to stay active. For most people, simple painkillers available to buy over the counter will do the job. Anti-inflammatories are generally considered more helpful, so in the UK the most common one available is ibuprofen. This is relatively inexpensive and buying branded forms, which often cost a lot more money, will not work any better, so please save your pennies. Paracetamol can be helpful in combination too, but when used alone probably isn't quite as effective. If you can't take anti-inflammatory tablets, you can also try codeine short-term. Again, this is available over the counter at a reduced strength. However, the side effects such as drowsiness, nausea and constipation will put many people off. There is no evidence that stronger painkillers are any more effective. Many listeners who have had back pain in the past may have previously been prescribed strong medications. This doesn't mean you need them again, and as times change, we recognise that many of these other medications can end up causing more harm than good. Some people may also find applying heat helpful, but this won't work for everybody. If you require some help from us, most people will be directed towards physiotherapy. Physiotherapists are specialists in how your body moves and will do a thorough assessment before advising on a program that will get you moving again. Some of their treatment is hands-on, but the majority of the work will have to be done by you in your own time. 
There are rarely quick fixes in medicine and back pain is no different. I'll share some links for useful self-help exercise resources in the notes below. Many patients will also seek alternative therapies, such as acupuncture, osteopathy, chiropractic, massage and countless others. These generally exist outside of the scope of the NHS, so would need to be paid for privately. Evidence for their effectiveness is varied, and patients going down these routes do so at their own risk and cost, but anecdotally, many patients do find relief from these options. Now to close off, by looking at some of the biggest risk factors for developing back pain, we can also use these to then work out some of the best ways to prevent it. Some of these risk factors include a lack of movement or being unfit, being overweight, staying in the same position for long periods of time, worrying about your back and getting poor sleep. So in other words, being physically active, working to improve your weight, making sure that if you are sat down for a long period of time, you regularly get up and move around, having a more positive outlook about your back and also getting better sleep will all reduce your odds of getting episodes of back pain. The point on worrying about your back is interesting as our minds play a big part in how we feel pain and research has shown that those who are anxious about back pain tend to get more flare-ups and tend to feel the pain more severely than those who worry less. Linked in with this is stress and people are more likely to develop back pain having gone through stress at work or in their personal relationships recently. And it may be worth considering if any of these points factor into your pain. that's an overview of lower back pain. If you found this useful, please share it with others who could benefit from hearing this information as well. In the episode notes below, I have listed some helpful links if you'd like some further reading, and you'll also be able to access the transcript for this episode for those of you who have difficulty hearing and would prefer to read the information instead. This would also be applicable if you know somebody who is hard of hearing who may appreciate this information too. As per the disclaimer at the beginning, these podcasts are no substitute for a consultation with your usual medical practitioner due to each patient's individual situation and medical background. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Please do check out some of our other episodes to see if there is anything of interest to you. And please consider subscribing if you don't want to miss any future episodes as they're released. Music